Amen. Book of Joshua. So yeah, we're going to take a look at that. We're going to take a look at a tiny little recap. So Joshua. Joshua means Yahweh saves. And the Lord saves, doesn't he? And he, and he saves completely. And we can see that in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse 25. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost. Notice that, the uttermost. Now, how far is the, is the uttermost? I don't know either. <laughs> I have no idea. Uh, uh, I, I think it's beyond, it, it's, we can't even comprehend it intellectually. I think it's beyond reason. But he says, he is able to save to the uttermost. All right? And that's the beauty of salvation. It has no limits. In other words, it is, it is complete. So the Bible says he is able to save to the uttermost those. Notice that word, those. So that's not limited to, say, Baptists or independents or Episcopalians or Cal Calvaryites. I don't know. It's to those. Those who? What? Draw near to God. Notice that. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God. When I see that and I hear that, I'm always reminded of the thief on the cross. He had no understanding of sanctification, not, never, never been baptized, never participated in communion, didn't give one penny to the church, but he drew near to Jesus. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. Therefore, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. Who's the him? It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ. John 6, says this, that no one comes to the Father except by Jesus Christ. The Lord saves, and he saves completely. And if he can say completely, he will never let us go. He will never suffer one of his people to perish. I'm reminded of um, Billy Sunday. He was an old evangelist in the 1800s, early 1900s. Baseball Sunday is what he was known as. He was a professional baseball player, played eight seasons professional ball. And then he was out um, and some street preachers were preaching on, on, the, on a corner and they were singing hymns, singing songs, preaching, and he stopped. And it caused him to go to church. It caught, the Lord drew him to himself and he became saved. And he held some of the largest evangelical meetings in the late 1800s and early 1900s. It would rival Billy Graham Crusades. You're familiar with that. And baseball Billy, Billy Sunday, that's what he did. And he had a, a, a famous sermon. It said, guttermost to the uttermost. And many people were turned to Jesus. Now, let's take a look at... Uh, Joshua here. The, the book of Joshua covers about 25 years um, soon after the death of Moses and the defeat of the Canaan takes roughly seven years, begins at the, at the banks of the Jordan River. Now the purpose was to show the descendants how and when they came to secure this land that the Lord wanted them to, to possess. Now, one of the key passages that you got to keep in mind when you're studying this is Joshua 21 and verse 45. It says this, Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass 
In other words, not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. God is the ultimate promise keeper. He stands by his word. God is faithful. But not only is he faithful, he is an encourager as well. As you can see in Joshua 1.9, you keep this in mind as you study the book of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. It was true then, it's true today, and it's true tomorrow, next week, and years down the road. Now, before we hop into chapter 11, let's just back up just a tad to chapter 10 and get some reminders of what's going on, right? So chapter 10, verses 40 through 43, here's what the word of God says. So Joshua conquered all the land, the mountain country and the south and the lowland and the wilderness slopes and all their kings. He left nothing remaining, but utterly destroyed all that breathed. Take a note of, the, take a note of this. As the Lord God of Israel had commanded and Joshua conquered them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen, even as far as Gibeon. All these things, all these kings and their lands, Joshua took at one time because, note this, the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all of Israel with him to the camp at Gilgah. Now let's go into chapter 11 and look at the first five verses there. And it came to pass when Jabin, king of Hazar, heard these things. Notice this, heard these things. Now chapter 11 begins just like chapter five did and chapter 10. Heard, heard what? How Israel had overpowered and destroyed the south. Heard that there was victory. Heard that there was success. Now again, chapter 10, 42 says this, the Lord the God of Israel fought for Israel. This is what they heard. They heard that God was fighting on their behalf and they were successful and they were victorious. Then he sent to Jaab, king of Maiden, to the king of Shimron, to the king of Ashraf, and to the kings, notice this in your Bible, it says kings, it's plural, who were from the north, in the mountains, in the plains south of Shinroth in the lowlands, in the heights of Dor, on the west, to the Canaanites in the east, and in the west, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Pezzarites, the Jebusites in the mountains, and the Hivite below Hermon in the land of Mesphah. So they went out, they and all their armies with them, take a note of this, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore, in multitude, with very many horses and chariots. And when all these kings, plural again, had met together, they came and they camped together at the waters of Miram to fight against Israel. Now, I don't know about you. I look at that and I go, man, I think they're in trouble. That's a lot of people that's going again against the children of Israel. It, it appears that the, 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 the deck is stacked against Israel. It looks like Israel is kind of the underdog here. Now, no one likes it when the, stack is decked, when the deck is stacked against you. Because it, it, it usually doesn't end well, does it? Um, I mean, you remember back a long time ago, like 1990, there was a heavyweight boxer fighter. And his name was Mike Tyson. Do you remember what his nickname was? It was something Mike? 
Iron Mike, Iron Mike. That guy fought. I used to, I, I loved to watch him fight. I kind of chuckled because they, all, they would have this big fight in Las Vegas and all these guys would pay thousands of dollars to watch it. And Mike would usually knock him out in the first round. And I'm like, you spent all that money for 35 seconds or whatever. And he did that 12 times the first round. He was something to behold. But in 1990, in February, along came Buster Douglas, the underdog. The deck was, the, the deck was stacked against Buster Douglas. And he was going to fight Iron Mike. And Iron Mike, there, it, was, it was a 42 to 1 odds for Mike Tyson. I mean, how would you like to go up against that? I look at that and I think of that and I go, poor Buster Douglas. He doesn't have a chance. Round one, he made it. I was like, oh, this might be a good fight. Round two, round three, round four. I was like, what is going on here? He went 10 rounds and Buster Douglas knocked Mike Tyson out. I could not believe it. And I'm thinking to myself, the underdog, underdog the guy, the, the deck was clearly stacked against him. And yet he prevailed. I remember, um, you know, the deck, the, the deck was uh, stacked against uh, the Chicago Cubs. Uh, they last won the World Series in 1908. Every year. No, no. Year after year, the underdog. The deck is stacked against them. Decade after decade after decade. Along came a century. They went 108 years before they won the World Series. During that time, the deck was stacked against them. Now, with human eyes, we see the deck is stacked against Israel when you read this. But remember, with God, all things are? They are. Doesn't matter what, how bad it looks. Doesn't matter if you are the underdog. With, all, with God, all things are possible. Now, at first, way back in chapter 5, the kings feared Israel. Because they had saw how the Lord had dried up the Jordan so the Israelites could cross over. And the Bible says that their hearts melted in fear, but not so anymore. Now we see an increased hostility and belief that the kings of Canaan could once and for all dominate and defeat Israel. They were no longer afraid of Israel, but they had forgot something. They forgot that God was for Israel. So a coalition was formed to fight and attack the Israelites. Now notice the size and the strength of these armies. Notice that the kings in the north are plural. So this opens up even more people that are against Israel. So the size of this army, as many people as the sand that is on the seashore, the Bible says. What a challenge. What a challenge. But it doesn't end there. Look at verse four. Many horses and many chariots. So this is a battle of survival, I think, against a very hostile army. Again, this is something that is going to rock Israel's world. And it doesn't look good. Doesn't look good at all. So what does God do? Take a look at verse six. The Lord said to Joshua, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid of them because of them. For tomorrow about this time, I will deliver some of them 
Does it say that? I'll deliver most of them. 99% of them I'll deliver. No, he says, I will deliver all of them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring the horses and burn their chariots with fire. So here's what God says. Do not be afraid. I know the odds are stacked against you. I know that. And God says, do not be afraid. Now, fear had to be an issue for Joshua and his peeps. It had to be. Wouldn't you be afraid if you were there? I, I wouldn't want to be there. Lots of people say, man, I'd love to live in Bible times. Oh, but pick this time. <laughs> I wouldn't want to be there. Because it appears that, that, that it's not going to go well for them. I know that I would, be, I would be terrified. I would be afraid. Listen, I need that assurance when things don't look good that God is there for me. Don't you? What God does is he encourages he encourages. He says, don't worry. Don't fret about it. It's going to be okay. Be calm. Carry on. Now, fear is a, is a, pretty, it's a pretty big deal in most people's lives. When people experience change, they get fearful. Uh, loneliness, people get fearful. Um, rejection will cause you to grow in fear. The cost of grapes. Have you seen that? I'm afraid to buy grapes when I go to the grocery store. I bought some about a month ago and I went, oh my goodness, my wife sees this bill. I had to hide the bill. I'm not going to buy grapes. I'm too afraid to pay that bill. But some are afraid even to go to heaven. Do you realize that? Some will not, some will not become born again, get saved because they few view God as being distant, harsh, judgmental, and they think, why in the world would I want to spend eternity with someone like that? They're afraid to call out to God and to save them. So fear is a very real thing. Fear can generate um, weakness. It can stop you in your tracks. It robs us of confidence. It squashes hopes, and it, and it, and it stops dreams. God encourages his people by saying, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. So when I see that and I looked at that, I went, should we encourage others? Here's God encouraging the children of Israel. Do we encourage others? Now, how do we do this? The word of God. That's how I think. Through the word of God, you share the word of God with one another. Take a look at Psalms 56, verse 3. When I am afraid, I put my trust and faith in you. That's encouraging. Lamentations chapter 3. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. That right there is encouraging. His mercy never comes to an end. That's encouraging. There are new mornings. I like that. That's encouraging. Great is your faithfulness. Well, that'd be a great title for a song, but that's, uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, there, there's encouragement through the word of God. 2 Timothy 2.1.7, the Bible says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of sound mind. Hebrews 10.25, Encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. What day? The coming of Jesus Christ. Encourage one another, because many are struggling with fear. And have challenges. Fellas, 
encourage your spouse. Encourage your spouse. Because if you don't, somebody might. So be careful. Wives, encourage your guys. Encourage them. Encouraging is important. Listen, if trees could talk, I'm, I'm sure that they would, they would encourage one another. I'm sure that what they would say is, hey, I'm rooting for you. Yeah, I know, I know. You're not encouraging. Come on now. But listen, you know, years ago, my dad up north, he encouraged me to, to take a job on the Alaskan highway. But, but I decided not to go down that road. So. <laughs> I got to do something to keep you awake here. I'm just trying to encourage you, okay? You know, and listen, uh, kids need encouragement. Kids need encouragement. In this day and age that we live in, grandkids need encouragement. Hey, listen, even pastors need encouragement. Now, I need encouragement. Every, everybody knows that, that I don't have a real job. I only work on Sundays, right? So, but I still need encouragement. And <laughs> There you go. I heard, of course. And you know what? Of course, I get hungry at times. You know, at the office, and, and I do take the children's ministry snacks. And, and yes, of course, I, I, I blame the youth department for that. I mean, when's the last time you tried one of these fruit snacks? I mean, they're really good, folks. So, yeah. On Fridays, I, I try to tell people, I say, uh, happy Friday. Happy Friday. It puts a smile on my face when I say happy Friday. For some reason, people love to hear that because I think they're thinking right about, you know, the weekend. And so I say, happy Friday. And, and Fridays are, are kind of easier for me when I just think, man, I, I wish I was a worship leader because we all know, you know, they got it made, right? Except I can't do that cool, funky thing with their hair because I, I don't have much hair left. But the bottom line is, let's encourage one another. Encourage your coworkers. Encourage your family members encourage one another. Just like what God did, he encouraged the children of Israel. Encourage one another. Now, if someone is in Christ, encourage them by saying, it'll be okay. Because if you're in Christ, it will be okay, right? It doesn't matter what you're looking at, it will be okay. If they're not in Christ, encourage them to make that step. That's how you encourage people. Let's take a look at uh, verse 6. God says, You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. What? What's going on there? This is something to read, isn't it? Like, what, what, is, what is happening? Now, Scripture tells us that we're to care for animals. Proverbs 12.10 says that. The righteous care for the needs of their animals. Proverbs 27 says this. Give careful attention to your herds. This does not match up with a practical sensibility towards animals. You know, PETA, PETA would have a cow, you know. <laughs> I know. Encourage me, folks. So why does God command this? And notice, it is a command. Hamstring a horse. Well, it was a common practice to ensure that their enemy's horses could not be used in battle again. It could not gallop and therefore was no good as a war horse. It ensured that Israel in the long process of taking the land does not trust in horses and chariots. Take a look at what the Bible says in Psalms. 
The Bible says some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. One reason is to keep Israel dependent on God. Now for us, do we depend upon God? Do we depend upon God? Do we really trust him? It's easy to point out in the times of crisis, times when we're especially dependent upon him. But the truth of the matter is, we need to be completely dependent upon the Lord all the time. All the time. We need God. We need Jesus Christ. And we need him every single day. For all things, especially when we go to Walmart, you need God. Now, how does one grow in their dependency of God? How does one grow in their trust in him? Well, here's four options. Get into the word of God more. Get into the word of God more. Hear it. By, by coming, being faithful on Sunday mornings, by coming here, hearing the word of God. Read the word of God. You don't have to read a lot. You can just read a couple verses a day, four or five or six. You don't have to go chapter and, you know, you don't have to do that. Just read it and then study it. How does it apply to me? What I'm reading and what I'm hearing. Then memorize scripture. Memorize it. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Memorize scripture so that we don't sin against him. That builds your trust in the Lord. And then meditate on it. In other words, just think about what it says. Think about what it says to you, not to your family members or to someone you're thinking about in church, but to you. Think about what it says and then do what it says. Do what it says. That's how you build your dependency. That's how you build your trust on the Lord. In other ways is, of course, prayer. We've been talking about that. Pastor Brent's been talking about that is prayer. It opens up communication between us and the creator of the universe. Another option is focus on God more than the problem. Focus on God and refuse to worry. Refuse to worry. Let's go look at verse 7 and 9. So Joshua and all the people of war with him came against them suddenly by the waters of Merom and they attacked them and notice this, the Lord delivered them into the hands of Israel who defeated them and chased them to greater Sidon to the brook Mesroth and to the valley of Mizpah eastward. They attacked them until they left nothing of them remaining. So Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. As the Lord had told him, he hamstrung their horses and he burned the chariots with fire. So what happened? Jesus obeyed. Jesus obeyed, or Joshua obeyed. He did exactly what he was told to do. Now, obedience is important. Obedience isn't important. What is obedience? Obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. I'll illustrate that. I need someone to help me with this. Who can help me with this? Yes, Pam. That one right there? Well, aren't you supposed to come to Wednesday night with a Bible and you don't even have one? Okay. Yeah, you need that right there? Okay. All right. It was a beautiful day today, wasn't it? 
It was just wonderful. Yeah. Oh, the one right there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that obedience? No, that's not obedience, is it? Obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. This one right here. Oh, yeah. That's okay. So you need a Bible. Yep. Oh, Pam. It looks, she needs a Bible. Would you agree with me on that? Just trying to encourage her here. Yeah. Yeah, this is, a, this is a good Bible. It looks like brand new. It looks like nobody's even opened it. Oof, yeah, yep. And I'm wondering what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. I have not had dinner yet. And then, you know, I, it's pretty, it's coming close to cut the lawn. Did you ever notice that? It's getting there, getting there, yeah. Oh, oh, is this what you wanted? <laughs> yeah. Got it, there you go. All right, thank you, you betcha. Was, was that obedience? Not really. Obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude, right? All right. One more time, fam. Ask you again? Yes. That Bible right there. I cannot believe you come to church without a Bible. I'm busy. I'm trying to do a sermon over here. All these people are looking at me. My goodness gracious, sister. I'm telling you what, somebody needs to... You, this makeshift altar or something? <laughs> Obedience is doing what you're told to do when you're told to do it with the right heart attitude. So you know what I'm talking about there, right? And Joshua obeyed. He fully leaned in to the Lord. He listened to him and he fully obeyed. And the Lord delivered them. And the Lord blessed. The Lord got the glory. Joshua could have said, man, those are some nice chariots. Check out those horses. I would love to have them. But he didn't because he fully trusted and he fully listened to God and he fully obeyed. Jesus obeyed. He obeyed even up until, you know, to death. He obeyed. Adam disobeyed and we've been paying the price ever since he has impacted the entire world in a negative way jonah he struggled with obedience he finally obeyed but he didn't want to go to nineveh he didn't want to help all those people turn towards god he'd rather let him see see him get destroyed and finally he relented and he obeyed and he preached to the people in nineveh and they all turned to God. And because of that, many were saved. Obedience is important. Would you agree with me on that? Now, what is God saying to you that you need to obey him in? What areas in your life do you need to listen to the Lord and turn to him and lean into him and obey him? Let's move on to verses 10 through 15. Joshua turned back at that time and took Hazar and struck its king with the sword for Hazar was formerly the head of these kingdoms. And they struck all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword, utterly destroying them. There was none left breathing. Then he burned Hazar with fire. So all the cities of these kings and all their kings, Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord had commanded. 
But as for the cities that stood on the mounds, Israel burned none of them except Hazar only, which Joshua burned. And all the spoil of these cities and the livestock the children of Israel took as booty for themselves. But they struck every man with the edge of the sword until they had destroyed them and they let nothing, uh, they left none breathing. And the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses, his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua. And so Joshua did. Do you see that obedience right there? He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. Talk about obedience. I think obedience is important. I think we'd all agree that kids struggle with obedience. But I think we're all a kid inside, aren't we? I know I am for the most part. Obedience is important. Now, as I read this right here, these verses, the word that comes to me is sweeping and intense. Complete destruction. Why? It reminds them and us of the judgment of God. Israel's obedience and the depravity of the Canaanites. They were utterly corrupt, unjust, and yet God had been patient with them as far back as the time of Abraham, gave them second, third, and fourth chances to prove that God is patient. But patience only goes so far. Uh, we see the Pharaoh. Pharaoh was given 10 chances. God was very patient with Pharaoh as well. God is patient. God is patient. The Israelites, the Israelite conquest of Canaan is described as an act of divine punishment on an extreme corrupt society. Let's, let's move on. Um, uh, sorry about that. Look at verses 16 through 20. Then Joshua took all the land, the mountain country, all the south, all the land of Goshen, the, the lowland and the Jordan plain, the mountains of Israel and its lowlands from Mount Halak and the ascent to Seir, even as far as Balgad. In the valley of Lebanon below Mount Hermon, he captured all their kings, struck them down and killed them. Joshua made war a long time with all these kings. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel. Can you imagine that? Except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon. All the others they took in battle, for it was, watch this, the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle. That he might utterly destroy them and that they might receive no mercy, but he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. The judgment on the Canaanites was accomplished when God hardened their hearts against Israel. The hardening of man's hearts is when God gives up man to the sin that is engulfing one's heart. That's what it is. Here's an example in the New Testament. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie. I, I look at that and I just, it's hard for me to comprehend that. That they exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. 
For even the woman exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. He hardened their hearts. Their hearts were so full of sin. It's so wicked. He hardened their hearts. Let's look at verse 21. And at that time, Joshua came and cut off the Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debar, from Anab, and from all the mountains of Judah. And, and from all the mountains of Israel, Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel. They remained only in Gaza, in Gath, and in Ashdod. That's a large tribe. Interesting to note, they were the ones that made the Israelites scared some 40 years ago in Numbers chapter 13. Last verse. Worship team, you can come up here. Verse 23. So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had said to Moses. And Joshua gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their divisions by their tribes. Then the land rested from war. Now, I'd be the first to admit, this is a hard chapter to go through. It's a hard chapter to reconcile. It's a hard thing to go through. I'm used to the New Testament. A little bit more grace, a little bit more mercy. But the fact of the matter is, we have the Old Testament and we're to learn from it as well. So here's some final thoughts. I see this. I see resistance. I see a formable enemy, but I see faith. And I see trust. And I see obedience. And then, as the last part of the verse, I see rest. The only true rest one can really bathe in or have is that of Jesus Christ. He gives us rest. He gives us peace. He gives us hope. He gives us strength. And he gives us help. But to only those to, who turn to him. So I ask the question, have you turned to him? Or maybe a better question is, will you turn to him? Will you turn to him? See, he's there and he's waiting for you. And here's the reason why. Because you matter. You matter to God. Don't ever forget that. You matter to God. You don't know what I've done. It doesn't matter. If the thief on the cross mattered to Jesus Christ, you matter to him as well. You matter so much that God sent his son to die on a cross, to pay the penalty of sin, shed his blood so that we can have salvation. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. It is God's desire for you and I to lean into him daily. Accept him as our savior. Follow him and live for him. Why? Because that's how God gets honored. That's how God gets glorified. And when we do that, it's a good thing. 
the Lord, we're, we've we're been put on this earth to bring him honor and to bring him glory, to worship him. And this is how we can do that. Let me close in a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll sing a song. Father, thank you for your scriptures. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us about obedience, about faith, about trust, and how you're always there for us. You are there for us, just like you were with the, the children of Israel. And you said, fear not. What great encouragement. Help us, Lord, to encourage others around us. Because we know people are afraid, people get scared, people get nervous. Help us, Lord, to encourage one another. In Jesus' holy name, amen.